Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we've been dealing all fall long with this uh, question, this issue of the hurt and the healer. Life hurts, and if you haven't experienced that before, then, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, just, it does. I mean, you don't have to get very old before you realize, man, life really does hurt. No one's immune to it. And so we've dealt with things like, like uh, inadequacies, like, like rejection, all sorts of things that we all deal with, really, on a continual daily basis. And my desire, as we've gone through this this fall, is if we as a church become so enamored with the amazing reality of the finished work of Christ and, and how all of our sins have been forgiven and how he holds our sins against us no longer, et cetera, et cetera, but, but we look at that as some sort of just amazing thing for the next life, and we don't connect the dots to see how it practically applies in everyday life today, then I think we've, we're kind of missing something. We're missing the grandeur and the glory of how we've been rescued from this present evil age. So the gospel isn't just for tomorrow. I mean, it is for tomorrow, but it's for today. And so we're just taking some time this fall to really plot a very simple course to try to explain how the finished work of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the indwelling reality of the presence of Christ actually is for today to help us through life healing all sorts of hurts. We've shared this phrase here, hurt people, hurt people. And I think we all have experienced that in one way or another. When we are hurting, we tend to hurt. And so we're seeking to find true healing in what Jesus has done. So that cycle of of hurting others because we're hurting so much, well, it ends. And so today we're going to embark on a three-week sort of uh, journey uh, in the hurt that we will call guilt. And, And guilt, no matter who you are, man, we all face it on a continual continual basis. We have a quick little definition that we're going to, you know, operate from for the next couple weeks, but it it simply says, it should be up on the screen there, that the feeling, guilt is the feeling, because it's an emotion, it's the feeling of personal responsibility when not meeting a certain expectation. It's that feeling of personal responsibility when we fail to meet some sort of expectation that's been placed on our lives. As parents, we feel guilty at times, some more than others, but we feel guilty at times. When we think that we're doing everything we can to prepare our children, particularly toddlers, that's where we are in this stage, particularly toddlers, but anyone, to prepare them for life, and then we're searching through Facebook, through, you know, Twitter, through something, and we see how someone else's two-year-old has, like, already memorized the entire book of James, and our kid is, like, you know, talking about poo all the time, right? And so we feel this sense of guilt because, like, man, I have failed to meet some sort of expectation, that, that now I didn't even know it was there. But now the expectation is for kids to memorize the book of James, apparently. And we missed it. Yeah, that's something that I'm dealing with. The, 
This happens in all areas of our life, husbands and wives. Look, there's only 24 hours a day, and you've got to determine what you're going to do and what you can pack into 24 hours. And as we all know, there's going to be times when time that you want to spend with your wife or your husband just simply doesn't get on the schedule. And then again, you see or you hear how these other people are doing all this stuff, and you feel this sense of guilt because you're not doing enough. And then with guilt comes its little partner called shame, and then closely behind comes condemnation. And it's this cycle that we continue to find ourselves in, continuously beating ourselves up because we are repeatedly failing at meeting an expectation. We have this in health, right? Man, I should be doing this and not eating that. I mean, there's a whole book, right? Eat this, not that. You've seen that book? Dude, I, I look at that book and I'm like, guilty, 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 guilty. And so I, I don't want to, but I do. And so there's this guilt. Finances, the same deal. I tell you no lie. When Gwen was born, she's our firstborn. When she was born, we took out the whole life policy. We took out a savings college, college savings policy, all this sort of stuff to get her on the road. Well, shortly thereafter came Drake and then Riesland. Yeah, they got nothing. They got nothing. So what does that make us feel? It makes us feel guilty that, you know, Drake and Riesland got nothing, but Gwen's like, you know, she's set, if you will. Not really, but you know what I mean. Guilt, it's a powerful thing. And unfortunately, many of us as parents use guilt to manipulate the behavior of our kids. And don't look down at your spiritual nose at me, because I know you do it too, right? We all do it. We don't want to necessarily, but again, we do it. We use guilt. It's powerful. And so over a lifetime, when we have a steady diet of guilt, and we think that because we're failing to meet these certain expectations, we think that life is just, we just accept it, that that's the way life works. And listen, and we don't, we don't know experientially what it's like to live free from guilt. We just think that's the way it is. And so we come to accept it rather than to see what Jesus has actually done. Are you with me on this? Is, is, it, just, is it just me? Maybe it's just me. And maybe the today is just for me in the next three weeks. Because we're going to look at this for three weeks, this issue of guilt. Today, we're going to do something a little unique. What we've done all fall long is we've talk, taken an issue, a hurt, and then we've taken what the Scripture says, you know, has happened now in the New Covenant about that particular hurt. We'll do that, but today we're going to, do, we're going to start this thing off a little bit different. Today, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that is used, at least has been used in my life, to heap guilt upon a believer. And then we're going to look at it in its context and see, okay, what is this actually saying? This verse that we're going to take a look at today might not be a verse that you've been exposed to your life where people have brought, used it to heap guilt onto you, but I'm sure there is one. Because any verse in Scripture can be taken out of its context and twisted around and used to bring death and condemnation instead of life. So this verse that we look at today might not be a verse that makes you know, any sort of practical uh, sense in your life that you've been dealing with, but, but if there is one, a verse that somebody used, maybe if you grew up in a Christian home and your parents used verses you know, to say something to get your attention, to condemn you and to bring guilt so that you just change your behavior. I mean, there's plenty of verses that they could be, can be used to do that. 
I just encourage you, whatever those verses are that might be in your head that just keep replaying over and over, I just encourage you to read that, find the verse and read it in its context, and you might actually find something totally different happening. And so we're going to give an example of that today. Next week, we're going to look at how Paul in Ephesians 5 declares us blameless, and it's amazing. Then the week after that, we're basically going to say, okay, how in the world can we be blameless? How does that work? Because we see all the blame that comes out, all the guilty things that come out. How in the, fa- how in the world can we actually be guiltless when we see so much guilt coming from us? I was talking with uh, someone in the church at the office a while back about this issue of guilt, and they were explaining to me, they said, look, I didn't have just the guilt of a mother. And now look, a mother's guilt, you know what I'm talking about? You know how moms, you know, they'll do that, you know, that guilty, they'll say those things in order to make you feel so guilty that you have to do what they want you to do, you know? Anybody, nobody else has a mom like you? Okay, there you go, there's some. She said, I didn't have just the guilty mom issues, I had the... Irish Catholic mom guilt issues that I had to deal with. I didn't have that. I didn't have an Irish Catholic mom. I had a Southern Baptist uh, mom. And so if it was even more so than what I experienced, then man, it's got to be some crazy guilt that she went through. And so all of us have developed some sort of pattern of what this life is like. This verse that we're going to look at today was used a lot in my upbringing, particularly when I came on staff at a church in the Lynchburg area, we would sit in our conference room with all of the staff and all the pastors, and our senior pastor would put this verse up, and he would read it to us, and he would go around the circle, and he would say, so tell me, how much do you really love Jesus? And here's the verse, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, when we just read that, I don't know about you, but the very first thoughts that enter my mind is, man, I'm nowhere close to being able to love him. If my love for him is dependent upon my ability to keep his commandments, then how could I ever say that I love Jesus? And so our boss, he'd go around the circle and he'd say, okay, now you, do you love Jesus? Okay, you, are you keeping the commandments? Now you, now you, now you. And everybody would say, you know, well, yes, of course I am, you know, if that sort of deal, it comes to me, and I'm like the last person, and like everybody else has said yes. Well, I can't say no, because everybody else said yes, and so I say, well, yeah, I'm keeping the commandments, you know, and I just broke one, right, lying, and so it's like, you know, so when we read these verses, and there's tons like this, out of their context, to bring guilt and shame, what is Jesus saying here? What is going on here? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to very briefly look at this one verse. Again, you might have, there's plenty of other ones that your parents or that you or that whatever society, church has brought into you to try to bring shame and guilt in order to modify your behavior, manage some sins in your life. But I just challenge us all to look at these verses actually in their context. When I read this, I read, keep my commandments. I think immediately of the what? At least the big 10, the 10 commandments. I think of, you know, well, there wasn't just 10 commandments. God gave Moses how many? 613 commandments. And the 10, the big 10 were just part of the big 613. And so if that's the commandments that we're thinking of here, then man, who of us is ever able to say that we love Jesus? Then Maybe it's not those. Maybe it's, you know, like the church commandments, you know, like go to church, pray, read your Bible, share your faith, you know, those sorts of things. 
Well, if those are the commandments Jesus is talking about, well, then maybe we can maybe possibly achieve some of those. Well, I have an idea for us. How about we just actually read what Jesus actually says and then come to the conclusion by the Spirit of God in us to help us understand what these commandments are that he's speaking. Because it might just rock our world. It might just open our eyes to see, holy guacamole, this good news is really good. So we're going to rewind a little bit back to where he starts talking about this, which is in John 13, starting, I don't know what verses it, where it starts, it's uh, verse 34. And we're just going to walk through this. I'm not going to do a whole lot of preaching. I'm just going to kind of read and, and help you and help me understand what he means by keeping these commandments. Because again, there's so much guilt that floods in when he, we hear him say, if you love me, you know, like I hear my mom saying, like, hey, son, if you love me, then do this. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that, but I don't want to say I don't love you, mom. So what in the world is happening? Well, First, Jesus, this is the night that Jesus is arrested. Within some 12 hours, Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross. Just some quick context. And so this is some of the last words that he has with his disciples. Chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, 16, and 17 of the book of John really are one long conversation. It's amazing. You should read it. Of, of that he's having with his disciples. And so he says to them, disciples, a new commandment. I give you. Okay, so he, we know he's going to say in a second, if you love me, keep my commandment. So now he says a new commandment. This is, this is before. This is a chapter before. We're going to roll into chapter 14 in a second. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, that sounds somewhat familiar. We probably have heard that before. The greatest commandment under the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as what? Yourself. We're familiar with that. The greatest law, the greatest commandment under the what? The law, the very thing that we're not under because of what Jesus has done. We're under grace, not under law. So the greatest commandment of the law is to love God and love people. Well, here is a new commandment. Jesus is saying, we're, not, a, we're not, not talking about that. We're talking about a new commandment that I give you, is that you love one another as I have loved you. It's no longer love one another as you love yourself, but it's now a new commandment. You love as I love you. Now, if you're with me, if you're thinking like I'm thinking, it's like, man, I could barely do the first one love someone as much as I love myself. And now Jesus is saying that, I, that, that it's love one another as much as I love you. It's like, well, who could do that? We couldn't even do what Moses said. How in the world are we going to do this? It sounds so much more difficult. And over the next couple of verses, Jesus actually, if you, if you think about this, he actually starts like unveiling some of the most amazing gospel knowledge that the scriptures contain. And I think most of us, especially myself, are been simply ignorant of what Jesus is about to say and explain. So he says, a new commandment, love one another, not as you love yourself. That's the old. A new commandment is to love as I love you. Well, how did he love us? Well, he gave himself for us. I mean, how could we ever love that much? And so he explains how this works over the next couple of paragraphs. And a couple of the disciples keep interrupting him, and, and, and it, which is good. We learn a lot through the interruptions, but he keeps going back to the point of what he's 
after what he's teaching. And so in verse 36, Peter interrupts. Peter's good at that, if you're familiar with the, how, the, how Peter works. He says, Lord, where are you going? Well, where are you going? If you're going somewhere, where are you going? We want to know. And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now. You see, Jesus is talking about the cross. He's talking about taking on the sins of the world. He says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow later after three days, after the resurrection. You can't go and do what I'm about to do because I'm about to do that for you. But there is coming a time where you will be where I am and I will be where you are. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Doesn't it sound like a two-year-old? Right now, right? Drake, right now. I will lay my life down for you, Peter says. And Jesus, of course, answers, 38, very famous. Will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you before, a rooster uh, will not crow until you deny me three times. Well, Peter's done talking at that point. Because <laughs> what do you say to that? Um, and so now Jesus picks back up in this explanation of this new commandment. Okay, let's follow the train of thought. The next verse is chapter 14, verse 1. He says, uh, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I know it sounds impossible and crazy to love each other the way that I love you, but don't worry, because over the next couple of paragraphs, this is what I hear Jesus saying, I'm going to drop some of the most amazingly beautiful gospel knowledge on you That'll make your mind explode and make you just shout for joy for what Jesus has done. Look at this. He says, verse 2, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. And I go, if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And he's talking about within 12 hours, he's going to die on the cross to prepare a place. For what purpose? Well, he says it right here. If I go to prepare, verse 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So he's saying, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back three days later so that through my death and burial and resurrection, and when you believe in me, you die spiritually, you're buried spiritually, and you are raised a new creation so that where I am, you may be also with me in this new covenant. Verse 4, and you know the way where I am going. And now Peter's already interrupted him one time. Now Thomas interrupts in verse 5. Thomas says to him, Lord, Lord, we do not know where you are going. They're thinking you're going back up to Galilee. You know, you're going to go down towards Egypt. Where are you going? We don't know the way. And Jesus says to him, one of the most amazing passages of Scripture, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you have known the Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And so Jesus is beginning to reveal this dynamic of how Jesus had ministered for three years. Jesus is, is starting to open up their eyes to see it hasn't just been God the Son in their midst this entire time, but God the Father had been with them also. 
Look at verse 8. Philip now interrupts. So Peter interrupted, you know, uh, who was it, Thomas, and now Philip. Look at what Philip says. Philip says to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. If we could just see God, we don't need to see anything else. We have seen enough. In verse 9, Jesus says to him, this is so amazing, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Now, let's don't read past that. Philip is saying, I want to see the Father. Jesus, show me the Father. I want to see the Father, the Father, the Father. And look how Jesus replies. Jesus is talking, at least it sounds like to me, from the very voice of the Father. Where Jesus is saying, or the Father is saying, Philip, I, the Father, have been with you this whole time. And you did not know me. You see that? Thomas is looking, uh, Philip is looking for the Father. And in Christ is the Father. Look right here. You don't have to take my word for this. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father is in me. The words, do do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 10, the words that I say to you, I do not speak to you on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his work. Now, let's just be honest for a second. How many of us have thought about Jesus, at least his three years of ministry, how many of us have thought of his three years of ministry as the Father in Jesus doing the work that we read Jesus doing? I, that's, not the, that's not the idea that I tend to get, right? I tend to think that God the Father is like somewhere up in heaven in some other place. Jesus is doing his thing, and one day the Holy Spirit's going to come. Well, look, Jesus is saying very plainly right here from the beginning, I haven't done a single thing. I haven't said a single thing or done a single thing outside of the Father's initiative who is in me to do what he wants and to say what he wants. So think of all the things that we saw Jesus do, walking on water, raising the dead, speaking words of life to those who are caught in sin, condemning those who are trying to use religion to to work their way up to God. All of that, the compassion and the, the mercy and the forgiveness that we see Jesus doing, Jesus is saying, don't you know, Philip, that that's actually the Father in me, abiding in me, doing that through me into this world to which I think all of us and Philip would say, hmm, I did not know that. And it's right here in black and white in our Bibles. And so Jesus, this is going somewhere, Jesus is pulling back this curtain of revelation and saying, wait a second, Philip, you want to see the Father, you see him every day when you see me talk, when you see me work, when you see me love, when you see me reprimand the religious, you see the Father every day single day. Remember in Colossians, Paul says that Jesus is the very expressed image of the Father. Well, how could he say that? Because, well, he is the Father abiding 
in him. Verse 11, Jesus says, believe me. (laughs) So if we're looking for commands, okay, English, we might call them imperatives. We already have had one, love as I love others as I've loved you. And now here's another commandment, another uh, imperative, verse 11, believe, believe me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's like, if you don't believe that because it's too hard to imagine, just believe, just believe the works themselves. You've seen the works. Those are the Father. And look at verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, look at this. He, he who believes, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. He's talking about like tomorrow. When I die, I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So now who's saying that they're doing the work? I, it's Jesus, the Son. Whatever you ask, I will do. Because I'm going to go to the Father, and then the day is going to come... Acts chapter 2, when my spirit will be descended and there will be conversion for the very first time and the dead hearts will replace with live hearts when, we, when people believe. And now I, follow me, will actually be in you to do the very same thing that the Father was in me to do. This is so important to see this. Jesus is saying that in the exact same way that the Father was in the Son doing the work, doing the ministry of the Son in the exact same way the day is going to come when the Son himself will now live in you and me to do his work, to do the will of the Father. And so Jesus has his entire ministry been setting this example He's setting the example. The disciples, they were clueless to that. Most of us have been clueless to this. But he's unveiling this reality that in the very exact same way that the Father has been in the Son, ministering and serving and speaking through the Son, the day is going to come, and we can say that it has come now, that the Son is now in those who believe to do, to say, to speak, to minister, to glorify the Father. So Jesus isn't saying, look, I've got this long list of commandments that I need you to do in order for you to really love me. Jesus is saying, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. Think of Jesus. Go back to Jesus' ministry. He was about to feed 5,000 people with a cup of bread, a cup of fish, right? Does anybody know what he did before he started doing that? He prayed to the Father for the Father to do this work through him. When he was about to raise a little girl or raise some people, raised a couple people, he prayed to the Father. Father, when he was ministering, when he was dealing with all the different tax collectors and sinners and trying to minister grace to them, he would spend time every single day praying that the Father would do his work through him. Jesus modeled for us an absolute dependence upon someone else living in them. Now, does that mean that Jesus couldn't have done those things on his own? Of course he could have. I mean, he's God. But the model he gives us is total and absolute dependence upon someone else living in him to live through him. Look, friends, that's the new covenant. 
That's the gospel. We're now today, just as the Father was in the Son, living through the Son and ministering through the Son, the Son now today lives in us. To love through us. Remember our context? A new commandment I give to you. To love one another as I have loved you. To which we all say, yeah, right. How can I do that? And Jesus is explaining, it's not you who does it. It's I in you who does it. Just as the Father was in me, doing the work of his, of his, for his glory and, doing, and speaking the gospel truth to those who would hear, in the same way I now am in you to love as I love you. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So what are the commandments? Is he talking about Moses? Is he talking about the Big Ten? Is he talking about 613 laws to live by? No. He has revealed to them this amazing backstory, this amazing backstage access to how Jesus and the Father have worked for so many years, the Father in the Son, ministering through the Son. And he's saying, in the exact same way, I will be in you to love, to serve, to speak grace through you. We say this all the time. Jesus died for us so that he could live in us, so that he could live through us. And that's what he's explaining right here. So if we love him, then we will believe this. If we love him, we will keep these commandments. The commandments, this teaching. Commandment isn't just about a rule to live. It's about a teaching. If we love him, we will keep this teaching that in the same way the Father lived through the Son, the Son now lives through us. Isn't that a bit different than sitting around that conference table and being called on one by one and asked, are you keeping the commands? Are you keeping the commands? That's a bit different, isn't it? You see how man can bring a scripture totally twisted from its context to heap guilt and condemnation? We're good at that. So again, I don't know if this is the ver- a verse that you've been exposed to much of your life. It's one that I was. And it is actually, when it's seen in its context, actually brings the exact opposite of what was attempted to bring. It was attempted to bring guilt and condemnation to modify the behavior of your flesh. Well, the reality is that Jesus is opening up this amazing reality, this backstage access to how the gospel actually works, that Christ himself is actually in us to live through us, to love through us. And what's our command? To believe it. We saw that, to believe. The same writer, his name's John, because that's why it's called John. Um, somebody's light bulb just went on. Like, why? Uh, John, the same writer wrote a couple of other books. One of them's called First John. First John chapter three. Go home and do this. Read First John chapter three and read John chapter fourteen. All right, the Gospel of John chapter fourteen and First John chapter three. They're almost parallel each other. It's very very cool. At the end of First John chapter three. Uh, John, he makes it, he, he puts this on the bottom shelf so low that even I can see it, okay? 
And this is what he says. Remember, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is what John says. This is his commandment. Let's just pause there for a second, okay? If we've spent most of our life trying to figure out what the commandments of Jesus are for us in the new covenant to, 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 in order to say that we love him, I got antennas up. I'm like, what? let's keep reading. What is this? And John, that's what I mean. It's bottom shelf, man. We can't miss this. This is his commandment that we believe. No, 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 Walt. That's, that's easy believism. Oh, really? It's easy to believe that we have been washed, justified, sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. That's easy to believe when I see so much junk coming out of this body of flesh. That's not easy for me to believe that I'm actually holy, righteous, and redeemed. It's very easy for me to believe that I'm who I once was and I just got some sort of ticket in heaven and God's looking past all my sins. That's easy to believe. It's very hard to believe that Walt Davis has been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. You see that? And so the commandment, John is saying, this is the commandment that you believe, that you believe. And Jesus just said that back in John 14. We just read it, verse 11, that you believe in the name of the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. And here's the next part. You already talked about this in John 13. And love one another just as he commanded us. Well, how did he command us? Well, that's why we read it earlier. He commanded us to love by him living in us, to love through us. That's the commandment. You say, what else is there? I mean, isn't there something else that I need to do in order to really be right with God? Anything else I need to do in order to be closer to him? Well, if there is, the apostles just didn't teach it. This is the commandment that we believe and that we let him actually live in us to live through us. That's good news. There's no guilt in that. There's no shame, no condemnation. It's the freedom of a life that Christ has given us to make us compatible with him so that he can now live actually through us. Our journey marker today is just simple. It's to love Jesus is to believe Jesus. I know that sounds so simple, but I think that's all Jesus is just saying. If you really love me, then you're going to believe what I'm saying. And what I'm saying, it's counterintuitive, it's counter-cultural, uh, it's counter, you know, this world. It's a whole nother world that just as the Father is living in me and ministering through me, I am going to live through you. That is not of this world. And so, so it's very difficult for it to get through our minds that are made up of experiences here in this world which is why the Apostle Paul and all the apostles continuously are imploring us to the renewal of your mind, to stop thinking the way that things work here are the way things work there, because it's a whole different economy. It's a whole different system. If we love Jesus, we're going to believe him, believe what he says. As impossible as it is to think of and to believe, we're going to believe him. We're going to believe that he actually resides in us. We're going to believe that he actually seeks to love through us. I submit, 
I could be wrong, that the very things that this particular verse, John 14, verse 15, was what people were trying to do, what I was trying to do with the verse in the past is the exact opposite of what Jesus desires. See, I looked at this verse. In fact, we talked about this in community group a couple weeks ago, and David started sharing about how there was a point in his life before he started to see the gospel, the finished work, where he would go through the entire book of John, writing out all of the commandments that Jesus gave in the book of John as a list to measure himself by as to whether or not he really loves Jesus. That's pretty admirable. But is that what Jesus is saying? And I think the answer is no way. What Jesus is saying is that to love me is to believe me, to believe that I have removed all of your sin and that I now live in you to love through you. Just as the Father has been doing with me this whole time, and you didn't even know it, Jesus now lives in us to live through us. And you know what? People around us might not even know it. And that's okay because the glory goes to him and not to us. Our band's going to come up and we're going to close out with a song that's just simply, uh, it's, it's an old hymn that we're very familiar with. It's, it is well with my soul. And I think this is a perfect song for today. In fact, for the next couple of weeks because we, this issue of guilt, it, it's, it's deep. It's intense. We pass it on to the next generations. And we, we've lived under it so much that we just we don't know what it's like to live free from it. So maybe we should just spend a couple of minutes just being reminded, no, 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 no. It is well. It is well with my soul. There is peace, a peace that surpasses understanding. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But there's a peace deep down within Because my life has changed from seeking to do some list of things, expectations that I will continuously fall and fail at, to thinking in a whole nother way that Jesus himself has become my righteousness. Jesus himself has become to me my sanctification. So that now life is him living through me, with me, in partnership into this world. You know, there's only one person that's ever lived the Christian life, and that's Christ. Makes sense. That's why it's called Christianity, not, you know, David Annecy, you know. It's Christianity, right? And I think all that Jesus is desiring is for him to be in union with us to now live his life through us. It's not, that doesn't bring guilt. It brings joy. That doesn't bring condemnation. That brings freedom. Freedom. So next week, I invite you to come back because we're going to look at Ephesians 5 next week where Paul very specifically details just how guiltless we are. And so all the thoughts, all the condemnation that we wrestle with and struggle with even if we've thought that those come from the Father, I think it's very easy to see through the Scriptures that no, 
If we're blameless, then guilt thoughts are not from the Father, from something else. Let's identify where it truly comes from. Let's go ahead and stand and pray as we conclude this morning. And I just ask that if you if you've not yet begun to trust in Jesus, you've not yet begun to believe in him, you know, I just encourage you again and again to start, to begin trusting him. Begin trusting him. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments, and his commandment is to believe him. I mean, he said it. Father, we just thank you so much for how much you love us. We thank you that your goodness, your mercy, it shines upon us. We thank you for all of our guests who are here today for the first time. I pray, Father, that whether we're here for the first time or we're here for the hundredth time, that, Father, you continue to open our eyes to see that in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are free. In Christ we are, are joined to him, not in just some sort of position, but, Father, in the, in the reality of their new heart. And the command of Jesus is not burdensome. It's not like the Pharisees who yoked themselves up to the law. He says, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your weary souls. And, Father, I just know just from life the weariness that this constant pressure of guilt and anxiety brings. And then we have these scenarios like we looked at today when the Scriptures actually are twisted to bring about even more guilt, to bring actually the exact opposite of what the Scripture was intended to do. Jesus sought not to bring guilt and condemnation. He, brought, he sought to bring freedom and life, his very life. In the same way that the Father you lived through him, he seeks to live through us. Father, help us to believe it. It's so different from this works-based system that we have been wrapped up in most of our lives. I thank you for the freedom that we have. Christ will always lead us to do that which is noble, that which is right, that which is glorious, that which is good. So, Father, help us simply to depend on him. As he depended on you, let us depend on him. For it is well, it is well with our soul. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.